Perspective is brought to you by Palace Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm with locations in the Northeast, specializing in financial and estate planning solutions, investment management strategies, and family office services for high net worth families across the country. Now, here's your host, James Landry. Welcome to the Palace Perspective, the podcast that brings you conversations and professional analysis on the topics and trends affecting your everyday financial life. I am James Landry, and I'm glad you chose to listen in today. I know you will find it once again valuable and timely information. Well, listeners, the window of opportunity for many tax savings moves closes on December 31. So it is important to evaluate your tax situation now while there is still time to affect your bottom line for the 2020 tax year. I want to reintroduce a very special guest we're having back today, and that is Karen Regan, CPA, who's a partner at O'Brien, Riley and Ryan PC, Certified Public Accountants and Advisors. You can defer income into 2021 if you believe that this tax year is going to have going to be in a higher tax bracket. It's important to look at both your 2020 tax situation as well as your 2021 when you're thinking about these different strategies. Karen's audit and tax practices include clients in real estate management, construction, trucking, truck retailing, restaurants, manufacturing and wholesaling, just to name a few. And I've worked with Karen many times and from her point of view, the sense of professional accomplishment and personal satisfaction she has told me is very similar, whether she is working directly with clients or with client staff. Karen, welcome and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, James. It's great to be back here with you on the Palace Perspective. So Karen, as the end of the year approaches, it's time to consider strategies that could help clients reduce both their 2020 and 2021 income tax bills. So doing a few quick projections will help clients estimate their present tax situation and identify any glaring issues they need to address while there's still time. So let's spend a little bit of time, you and me, Karen, talking together about some of those year-end planning strategies that clients would be really interested in certainly at the end of the year, but perhaps in some cases throughout the year. So Karen, for those individuals that are thinking about what their income tax bill will be in 2021 versus 2020, they might have some options in terms of being able to control that right now. What are some things they might think about that? Well, one of the things they can think about is deferring income into 2021 rather than taking it in 2020. Things like bonuses. If you're due for a year-end bonus, you may get your employer to push that to 2021. Additional things would be to defer the sale of capital gain property or structure it as an installment sales rather than taking a lump sum payment for a sale of business or other investment property. Additionally, you could postpone the receipt of some retirement distributions. As many of you, there are what's called a required minimum distribution taken every year. For 2020, the CARES Act has allowed us to waive that distribution. And it's not just a deferral, it's a straight up waiver, so it won't come into 2021. So there is no required minimum distribution in 2020. So if if an individual actually took a distribution from his or her IRA, and it's not been 60 days, they could put that money back in before the end of the year, and it's not considered a distribution, right? Absolutely, they can roll it back in. So in addition to timing income, and I would say for most individuals, particularly those that work for large corporations, they're probably not going to have a lot of say in terms of the timing of things like year-end bonus. I would agree with that because it's going to impact the employer, whether they can take a deduction or not. 
Right, right, exactly. But for some smaller or mid-sized businesses, those employees may have some ability to go to their employer and say, hey, would you mind, let's pay me on January 1 instead of December 31, and that would make a big difference, right? Absolutely. Okay. So in terms of timing of income, maybe related to that would be the ability to determine as an individual when I'm going to take a deduction, whether I take a deduction in 2020 or I defer taking that into 2021. I think some of that decision would be around what I think the tax law would be in 2021. For example, if I believed that the, the Democratic Party has been pushing to remove the cap on the state and local tax or salt tax limit, which is currently $10,000. They've been pushing to remove that cap. So if I believe in 2021 that I'm going to have a higher cap, maybe an unlimited cap, I might want to defer payment of certain deductible taxes that are state and local taxes to 2021. Is that right? Absolutely. Two, two areas that you could look at there is your real estate taxes. Most of them are not due until... February 1st anyway, so you could make them in 2021, as well as you could change your state withholding on your W-2. If you're going to be limited in 2020, your withholding might be limited as well. So if you reduced it for 2020, even though it might put you into a tax liability, you would pay that in 2021. Thereby, if the $10,000 cap gets lifted, you'd have a bigger benefit for that. Right. And there's other things, uh, certainly that are deductible that are not related to the SALT limitation. Maybe as a small business owner, I have expenses. And that can be as a self-employed person, if my income is Schedule C, 1099 income, independent contractor income, I might be able to time expenses so that I can get a write-off in 2020. For example, if I know I'm going to need a new computer, there's no reason to wait until January, right? Maybe I can write that off in 2020. That's correct. And additionally, if you wanted to pay for it in 2021, but still get the actual write-off in 2020, you could put it on a credit card. The IRS allows you to take the deduction when it is charged to the credit card. So as long as that happens in 2020, they're qualified deductions, and then you can wait and pay for it until 2021. Okay, yeah, that's great. Thinking about charitable gifts, clients or individuals that we might be talking to that are thinking about making significant charitable donations, but they'd really like to limit how much goes to a certain charity this year, but they'd like to write off the full amount they want to give to that charity this year. We've been looking at donor advised funds as a really simple way to accomplish that. Have you seen any of your clients in your practice with those types of strategies, Karen? Yes, we have. They're, they're a great strategy to use. As you mentioned, they don't have to identify the charity that they wish the funds go to immediately, but they do get the write-off in the current year. The other strategy we see, and it can either happen alongside of the donor advised fund or straight up to the charity, is to donate appreciated stock. This usually is a win-win because you'll get a tax deduction for it, but you also won't pay capital gains on that appreciation. Hey, Karen, I'd like to talk a little bit about, you mentioned the sale of appreciated assets there. Let's go back and talk about the sale of an appreciated asset. Perhaps it's a, a business asset or some other type of real asset, and you'd like to spread out the tax bite on that sale. Certainly one could simply say, well, look, I'm going to wait until 2021 
to sell an asset for a capital gain. And that way I'll have another 12 to uh, 14, 15 to 16, depending on when I file my tax return, months before I have to pay the capital gain tax. But there is some risk, I think, in doing that, and that is the capital gains rates could be entirely different in 2021 than they are today. Certainly, if President-elect Biden is able to push his tax policy proposals through to Congress and those were to be passed. So what would be another option for someone wanting to sell a large asset and spread out that gain and not recognize it all in 2020? You could set it up as an installment sale. So when you have an installment sale, you pay the capital gains over whatever the period of the installment is. So it could be 10 years, five years. So basically your capital gain is spread out during that time period as you receive the payments rather than all at once. Okay, so I'm just going to make a couple comments here. And since we're talking about taxes, I did mention President-elect Biden's campaign pro- proposals. We had a podcast, you and I actually, you and me, Karen, oh, i say a month ago, when we talked about the tax policy proposals of either uh, President Trump or at the time, Vice President uh, Biden. Now we have a president-elect Biden, or at least that's what it appears to be in the case anyways. And his campaign proposals would significantly increase the capital gain tax for taxpayers with income over $1 million. And so while details are not clear, the proposal could increase the 20% federal tax rate on long-term capital gains to nearly double at 39.6%, which coincidentally is the same uh, top marginal bracket proposal for ordinary income in his tax policy. So while this great of a potential increase in the capital gains tax in 2021, it may, with that proposal, it may make sense for taxpayers with appreciated assets to consider selling before the end of this year uh, and lock in the current favorable tax rates. However, with control in Congress still up in the air, and again, we won't know the answer to that question until apparently January 5th with the special elections down in Georgia, but with that up in the air, tax laws are still uncertain and it's a tough decision to make. I want to just say, though, that we want to be cautious. We want to caution listeners that you don't want to let the tax tail wag the dog. You don't want to make investment decisions purely for tax reasons alone. The underlying economics for any major asset transaction should always be the guiding force. Your main guide should always be the underlying investment decision, especially for regular events like rebalancing a portfolio. But I want to switch gears here a little bit to from investment planning strategies to more retirement account planning strategies. And you mentioned just a few moments ago, Karen, the ability in 2020 to forego now the required minimum distribution. And if memory serves, Karen, that's a result of the CARES Act and the COVID-19 crisis, is it not? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. A lot of uh, legislation that's happened, I'd say, even within the last three years, 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. 2019, the SECURE Act, 2020, the CARES Act, you really have a, to do a, make this a full-time job to, keep, to stay on top of all this, which is why we have you on the, on the podcast here today, Karen. So let's talk about just some basic blocking and tackling in terms of deferring money to retirement accounts. What should someone do before the end of the year or, or at least before tax filing season? Well, one of the most important and impactful things would be to make sure that you're maximizing your contributions to your 401k or to an IRA. If you aren't going to be able to max out by the end of the year, you might want to bump up your deduction for it so that you get closer to that. Additionally, a lot of people 
have year-end bonuses. This is usually a good way to kind of fund that delta of what the max is versus what you have put in. And for 2020, the maximum contribution for 401k is $19,500. And if you're over 50, you get an additional catch-up of $6,500. So it can provide a significant savings. Additionally, you'd want to you'd want to max out if you're eligible um, for an IRA, your IRA contribution. Yeah. And so the other thing that we should point out is similar to an IRA or 401k uh, contribution with a tax deduction, don't overlook the ability to go back even before tax filing in April of next year, you can contribute the maximum amount to a health savings account and have that money, that contribution be tax deductible if you haven't done so uh, fully by the end of this year. So you have until tax filing deadline to do that next year. That's correct. And so let's talk a little about, and we talk about putting money into retirement plans. Let's talk about taking money out of retirement plans. You mentioned the waiver of the required minimum distribution. What about a qualified charitable distribution for those folks that would, you know, be old enough to qualify for that? They're a great vehicle as well because they satisfy the requirement of the minimum distribution. But what they are is you are eligible to transfer up to $100,000 of your IRA to a charity, and therefore you're not taxed on that distribution. But as I said, they do qualify as meeting the requirements for the RMD. Yeah, which there is none this year, but I still, we've had clients still come to us and say, hey, look, I've been using this as a vehicle for my charitable contributions. I don't have to report it as income taxable, so let's continue to do that. As well as getting it out of, um, you know, shifting it out of your estate. Yeah, absolutely. Here's another big one that's come up, you know, actually all year long. And it had to do with, I think, the market correction we saw back in March, the severe market correction. And then certainly even before that, the SECURE Act in the end of 2019 changed the rules with regard to distributions from IRAs. And now the rule is if you are an IRA owner and you become deceased, if you leave it to anyone other than a spouse, that beneficiary has to take distribution of those IRA funds within 10 years of your death. And so the old stretch IRA strategy, that's deferring the income tax payment for beneficiaries for their lifetimes is basically gone. So that had a lot of people thinking about, well, wait a minute, maybe I should convert my IRA to a Roth IRA. That is a tax-free uh, vehicle. Now, the deal with Roth IRAs is no different than an IRA. Is you still have to take out the money as a beneficiary within 10 years, unless you're a spouse. But as a non-spouse beneficiary, within 10 years of a decedent's death. However, when you take it out, it should be income tax-free. So for large IRA owners, we've been fielding a lot of calls about doing a Roth conversion. Well, we're coming up on another deadline here if they want to continue to, to take advantage of that strategy, right, Karen? That, that is correct. Yep. So we used to be able to be able to do a Roth IRA conversion, but then change our minds. That's no longer the case. That's correct. If you take your money out of an IRA and contribute it over to a Roth, it is going to be a taxable event. And if 2020 is looking like it's looking like your tax rate's gonna be lower because you aren't required to make those RMDs, maybe you swap it out for doing a Roth conversion. Yeah, or if your income's lower just because of the COVID-19 crisis, which for many people, that's the case. So Absolutely. this might be the year to report that income through a Roth IRA conversion, and then you've locked in a tax-free account for your heirs 
for a really long time. And that's a huge advantage. Yes. The IRS, I should say Congress gave us a, a gift this year as a result of the CARES Act, which was as a result of COVID. And that had to be, that was described as a coronavirus related distribution. You want to talk to us a little bit about what that is, Karen? I've been, there's been a lot of confusion, I think, about from clients as to um, what qualify, how do I qualify to get a coronavirus distribution? What is it? And then what do I have to be thinking about in terms of timing, a tax for income tax recognition, three years? Is it 60 days? Is it three years? What are the rules around that? Sure. So as long as you meet certain requirements, which essentially is if you have been affected by the coronavirus, you were allowed to take distributions from your plans without it being subject to the 10% penalty if you were under 59 and a half. And you have three years to, to pay that back. Well, three years to pay it back sounds like a, a pretty long time that we can determine whether or not uh, we need to pay it back. Right. Uh, so that flexibility is certainly unheard of from the IRS prior to the COVID-19 era. Let's talk about one more item on terms of retirement accounts, and that's this idea of net unrealized depreciation. Karen, are you familiar with that strategy? I am. Yeah, so it's one of those things that doesn't get talked about a lot, but from time to time, we'll come across individuals that have 401ks at their employer, they're getting ready to retire, and for years, they've had their 401k monies invested in their employer's stock, typically a publicly traded company, Mm -hmm. all right? And there's a real opportunity here, a tax income tax planning opportunity for those folks that are retiring. And that's called net unrealized depreciation. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So as long as you meet, again, the requirements, and as you mentioned, it has to be stock of your employer and actual stock, you can take a, take the stock out and pay, you will pay ordinary income tax now. However, you'll only pay it on your cost basis, not what the fair market value is. So that then when you actually go to sell the stock down the road, you're only, you're paying the capital gains, um, long-term, hopefully, capital gains between the fair market value and the cost. So yes, there is a tax implication now at ordinary, but your cost basis hopefully if the company has grown, is lower than what the fair market value is. Yeah, that's right. And actually that difference between cost basis and fair market value is called the net unrealized appreciation. And like you said, the the basis when it comes out to you is taxable as income, but that net unrealized appreciation is not taxed until you sell it. And then regardless of where you saw it, one minute after you take the distribution or 12 months after the distribution is treated as a long-term gain. But any growth over and above that NUA or net unrealized appreciation will be shorter long-term gain, depending on how long you held it. So that is a really interesting strategy for folks to consider. What I've cautioned, and this goes back to my earlier comment, individuals is, again, don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Recognize you're dealing with a concentrated position here in one security. So you have to be comfortable with the fact that you have a highly concentrated position and there's a lot more risk than there would be probably reward in a diversified portfolio. So you have to take that into account as well. And additionally, it's important to remember that you must actually empty out the entire account, not just the stock. 
Wow, yeah. However, the the balance, if you had other other assets in the account or other securities in the account, you could roll that. It doesn't necessarily mean the entire account would be taxable in, in 2020, but you could roll the non-stock portion into, say, an IRA or something like that. Yeah, that's interesting, Karen. Tell us a little bit more of some uh, tax deductions that either an individual taxpayer may want to consider accelerating or even a small business owner. Sure. Some additional deductions as an individual you may look to accelerate into 2020 would be medical expenses that might be due in January. If you get them paid in 2020, they could be deductible depending on your adjusted gross income. You can prepay mortgage interest and be able to take the deduction in 2020. A big one for some is making deductible alimony payments. Now, this only applies for divorces that were um, in place before December 31st, 2018, because the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act uh, removed the deductibility of alimony payments for divorces finalized after that. Right, right. As a small business, you can prepay expenses for um, up to a year for things like rent and insurance and basically accelerate the depreciation, I'm sorry, accelerate the deductions into the current tax year. One one big area that's helpful in the small businesses and maybe even the Schedule C's is depreciation deductions. There's what's called bonus depreciation, whereas you can take 100% of what you paid for a capital item that normally would have to be expensed over the life of the item all in year one. So it may make sense to pull those into 2020. And that was, if I recall, Karen, part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act added back some value in that particular deduction, did it not? It did, yes. And there was the, there was a technical correction done in 2020 on some what's called qualified improvement property, which is a big impact for our rental property owners that we they were not allowed to take a bonus depreciation just because they didn't correct wording in the act for 2018 and 2019. So that has been corrected in, I believe, June of 2020. And so we can either amend those returns or there's another way to do it in the current year. But so that you can, something that you might have expensed over 39 years can potentially be taken all in year one. And we should also add, Karen, that if you're planning to make any energy improvements to your home, whether it's through solar panels, maybe a new hot water heater, maybe it's a new furnace, Maybe you're pulling the trigger and buying that Tesla. These are all things that may provide some tax advantages, right? Yes, yes. There's uh, energy improvement credits, and most of them are set to expire and at the end of 2020. Solar energy is, is through 2021, but it's at a reduced rate. So although some of them aren't a huge dollar amount, every penny helps. And they are credits as opposed to deductions. So it's dollar for dollar savings and taxes. So if you know that you are planning to you know, replace your furnace or windows or doors, et cetera, you might want to try and do it in 2020 to take advantage of these credits. Carrie, let's talk really quickly and then we'll wrap it up with uh, estate planning. But before we get to there, we have to talk, mention at least the alternative minimum tax, because some of the strategies that we'd be thinking about, that is accelerating deductions, deferring income, can be almost flipped on their head if you're in the dreaded alternative minimum tax situation. Is that correct? That is correct. I will say that once the the 2017 tax 
Cuts and Jobs Act went into place, we don't see as many people falling into AMT as we had in the past. So basically the AMT calculates a, a, a greater than or less than tax at um, either 26 or 28%. And what it does is disallow some deductions such as that SALT deduction have to include if you exercise incentive stock options, but again, with the SALT deduction being at 10000 it doesn't have as much of an impact because you're not adding back $50,000 of, of state tax deductions. But it's definitely something to consider, especially for our, our clients who have incentive stock options. Yeah, absolutely. So you have to be really careful if you are an individual that has incentive or qualified stock options. And, you know, the exercise of those options could put you in an alternative minimum tax. You really need to talk with a qualified, you know, tax accountant, you know, such as Karen, to make sure you've done your due diligence uh, and understand the, the immediate tax impact of exercising one of those options. That's a whole session in and of itself. So let's skip on to estate planning strategies and we'll wrap it up with that. Karen, this, we love to talk about estate planning strategies here at Palace Capital Advisors. So I could wax eloquent for forever on this, but let's just try to distill it down to this. The high gift and estate tax exemption amount of 11580000 per person in 2020, which if you're a married couple, that's just north of $23 million. That amount is the amount that you can leave to any person without incurring either a federal gift or estate tax. Well, that amount has left many thinking they do not need to worry about estate taxes. If, however, the exemption amount decreases, whether under the Biden presidency or through the sunset, which is current law of the current rules in 2026, more families and individuals will want to consider making gifts for tax purposes. And estate plans may also need to be updated to address transferring assets in ways that consider a lower threshold for tax. So let's talk about briefly some basic block and tackling strategies for reducing estate tax and let's talk about, if you would, Karen, a little bit of the concern that high net worth individuals have as we're coming up here to the end of 2020. And before you do that, I'll just mention that you know, we work with estate planning attorneys who are up to their eyeballs right now, feverishly drafting trusts, drafting transfer assets or gifting arrangements, ways to take advantage of the 2020 year before it comes to a close because they're concerned that there could be an entirely different landscape when it comes to estate tax law in 2021. So talk a little bit about that. Well, James, as you mentioned, either under Biden's plan, which is to basically cut in half the exemption, whether that gets passed or not, the current law sunsets at the end of 2025, so which essentially cuts it back in half. So mm -hmm. the IRS has said that there won't be what's called a clawback. So taxpayers can gift out of their estate now up to, if you're married, that $23 million and not have it get clawed back when the exemption gets reduced. So as you said, trusts are great vehicles for this. And I know a lot of estate planning attorneys who are up to their eyeballs as well. 2020 is an important year because if Biden does get his, his proposal in place, it could be effective for 2021. Additionally, Biden is wanting to eliminate what's called the step up in basis. So as it stands now, beneficiaries of estates get what's called a step up to the fair market value as of the date of death. Therefore, there is no capital gains when the assets are received at the date of death. 
He is proposing to eliminate that, which could potentially have a large impact of taxes due for, for oh, absolutely. these absolutely. Um, beneficiaries. Huge, right. That's a big one. And that, from what I understand, in that particular aspect of his policy, it would be for individuals who, in the year of their death, had earned over $400,000 of uh, income. And so it would be those beneficiaries that would be faced with this lack of step-up in basis and this sort of quasi-estate tax, but it's really an unrealized appreciation tax. Right. And really, $400,000 is a fairly low threshold for being in that very enviable bracket of having to pay that uh, new tax. And I would just tell you, that is a very big concern for many of our clients, and I'm certainly sure most high net worth individuals as they look at the landscape ahead. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think we'd have to say, Karen, that yes, his tax policies are one thing, but you know, there's one thing to have tax policy while you're running for election. What you actually put in front of Congress may be something totally different. So I think it just all remains to be seen. And certainly we have this special election in Georgia, two Republican seats or Democratic seats that are in question right here in the U.S. Senate. If the Republicans can keep just one of those seats, then it really makes it tough for Biden to push these tax policies through in a Republican-controlled Senate. Correct. At least for the next couple of years until we have new Senate races. Right. I should also say that if tax rates do, and I believe it will, I mean, I, I think, again, whether it's through a Biden tax policy or, again, as the current law stands, the exemption gets cut in half at the end of 2025. I think we're going to see life insurance as an estate liquidity tool come back into vogue. It really kind of lost its luster for a lot of the mainstream population because it's not every day that you have a married couple with $23 million in a federal U.S. federal estate tax problem. But that will be much more common once this state tax exemption does sunset. Yeah, and, and the life insurance policies are a great vehicle because if it's structured correctly and put into an irrevocable trust, the proceeds are excluded from the taxpayer's estate and they can be used to pay any estate tax if, if necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's see. I, I would just wrap this up and say, obviously, every person's situation is unique. And reviewing it, especially in light of much uncertainty, and certainly uh, we can say there's uncertainty, it's important to review it. But making a plan and taking action is what will make the difference. And with a historic year coming to an end, these year-end planning strategies could prove to be more critical than ever. And I would encourage folks is go to our website, palacecapitaladvisors.com. You'll find there underneath the, the planning newsletters, a recent newsletter called Year End Planning, where we discuss uh, these topics that Karen and I have discussed, plus many more. So I encourage everyone to visit that. Well, that will do it for this round. And thank you so much, Karen. Thank you for having me. So listeners, stay tuned for our next podcast, where we are going to talk about the very important and meaningful topic of philanthropy. And that will be very timely and helpful, I'm sure. In the meantime, thank you for listening. Also, if you would like to speak personally with Karen Regan, you can find her at the O'Brien, Riley, and Ryan PC website. That address is www.orrpc.com. You can also reach out to me or any other advisor at my firm, Palace Capital, at palacecapitaladvisors.com. That's P-A-L-L-A-S capitaladvisors.com. We'll see you next time. 
Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, Triad Advisors, LLC, and their representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based on publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time without notice. The information contained herein is for informational purposes only, is not personalized investment advice, and should not be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any particular security, sector, or strategy to any individual person or entity. Securities offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Palace Capital Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Palace Capital Advisors, LLC is a separate entity from Triad Advisors, LLC.